our text came from the Old Testament scripture, Lamentations, the third chapter and the first to the 26th verse, which was read so ably in your hearing. I'll read it again so that we are all on the same page, for I believe that the prophet has much to tell us in this day and in this age. Lamentations, the third chapter, the first to the 26th verse. The reading begins thus. I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me and again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait. Like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. But I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. For a subject this morning, I want to talk about hope. And so I've titled this message, quite simply, The Hope of God. I was telling uh, Reverend Minson in the back that... Um, I didn't realize it, but I had never preached from the book of Lamentations before. You see, what you need to know about this particular book of the Bible is that, one, it's generally accredited to the prophet Jeremiah. And we know Jeremiah to be what? The weeping prophet. If you read Jeremiah, it's, it's, it's very sad the way that he presents his word. So, needless to say, with the book of Lamentations, it presents a mystery that requires you to touch the innermost parts of your soul. It's an interesting book in the sense that while it reads like a psalm in many cases, its primary thrust is one of deep despair and a passionate wailing by a prophet who by all accounts is a very faithful servant of God. 
So I say that all to say that the tone of the book is kind of bleak, and you could understand why a lot of preachers don't preach from the book of Lamentations. Because no one, everyone is having challenges in their lives already. Why do I need to come to church and hear more about the sadness that I'm already dealing with in my life? So preachers stay away Amen. from the book of Lamentations. We like to preach messages that uplift you and make you feel good and you go home feeling energized and ready to take on the next week. You don't want to hear often a message of doom and gloom. But that's for the preachers who don't really understand necessarily the book of Lamentations. So the book can actually be summarized this way. Hear me clearly. God does not speak and the degree of suffering feels undeserved with almost no expectation of future redemption. That's the book of Lamentations in a nutshell. God is silent and we have almost no hope. So what really is this thing called hope? I know we use the word a lot and every one of us has recognized that it's something that we all need. Hope. But what is hope really? What is it? Well, the dictionary describes hope this way. Hope is described as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's knowing that things are not the way that we would like them to be right now in our lives, yet at the same time, we have an expectation that things can eventually become what we want them to be. That's hope. So hope is a feeling that something you want will happen and you still believe that things will change in your life for the better. But what happens when you have the feeling that something that you would like to have happen does not happen? And furthermore, what is the feeling when you know that that something that you're hoping for or want cannot happen? What happens to hope then? Let me share with you a recent experience I had at the medical center. I was working nights, and um, the pager for trauma went off. I was sitting in the office, and the pager for trauma went off. And you looked at it, and it was a level one trauma. So we ran to the emergency room, and we're waiting for, with the doctors and the nurses, we all hang around, chaplain, me, and everybody. We're waiting for the ambulance to come. And when the ambulance came in, it was a man who was 89 years old. And what was wrong with him was he had failed in his attempt to commit suicide. He took a shotgun to his face. And so the ambulance brought him in, and the entirety of his face had been removed. And I, I stood there with the doctors, and everyone was feverishly working. But somehow, he could still speak. So he was screaming, not just from physical pain, but there was also a sense that there was some emotional pain as well. And I know this to be true, because one of the things he was saying is, don't save me. He was screaming to the attendants and the doctors and the physicians, don't save me, as they were trying to continue to keep blood from going down his throat. So they trached him, sedated him, so they could do their work. 
And I remember walking away, and the reason why I'm sharing this with you, not to make you queasy, but I remember walking away and saying to myself, how far can people go to the point where they would think that that's the only way out? What do you do when you have no hope? And I was thinking, I can't imagine any reason, personally, why I would take myself to that extreme. So I was being judgmental of this man. I'm being honest. I'm judging him, criticizing him, for why would you do something like that? Saturday, yesterday, I went back to the medical center as I was on call, and I received what's called a trigger alert to go see a family. So I stopped what I was doing, and I went up to see the family. Turns out it was the family of the man. As I walked into his room, I could see where the doctors had reconstructed what they could of his face. And his son was there and his son's wife. And I went up and I started to talk to them and to see how they're doing. And through the course of conversation, they made me aware that he had been talking about this for a while ever since his wife had died. And I said, oh, how long had they been married? Seventy years. Seventy years. She's all he knew. So when she passed away, here it is, he's longing for his wife. And what made the story even more remarkable is they spent a lot of time with dad and they worked with him and they spent a lot of time trying to keep him, you know, in good spirits. But every night when everyone has gone home, he sits in his chair, turns on the television about 8 o'clock when he would watch Jeopardy with his wife. You can't always appreciate the pain that comes with loneliness. But also, you must be careful sometimes when you recognize that it's not just about loneliness, but it's really about hopelessness. What do you do when you have lost all hope? How do you minister to this family? How do you be there for someone? For I'm telling you, church, you know someone that is struggling with hope. You know someone in your life that is having a hard time thinking that their tomorrow can be better or different than their today. And they're having a hard time believing it. What do you do then? What do you do? How do you? And, and, and even to make matters worse, what do you do when it's you? Where is God then? Because I can sit in judgment and we can all sit in judgment and say, well, you know, and here's, here's, here's another tragedy of the story. The son said this to me. He said, my father is a hunter. He understands guns. He has a lot of them. He's very he's skillful. I cannot understand how someone who knows his craft missed. Did, and the son said this, did he have second thoughts? Did he change his mind at the point where it was a little too 
So what I'm sharing with you, church, is that you need to understand that there are some things in our lives that we try to fix, that we try to work on, that we try to medicate, that we try to hide behind when the only solution is in God and God alone. It is why we come Sunday after Sunday and preach messages, not just of despair, but that in the midst of your despair, there is a way out. For there is no temptation known to man that God will bring you to that he has not already created for you a way of escape. You need to know who God is. The challenge with the church is that many of us don't really know who our God is. And I'm telling you today, our God is a God of hope. You may not believe it, you may not see it, you may have struggles with it, but I'm telling you here as a witness, I don't wear this robe for fashion. I wear it because I am covered up by things that I cannot do for myself because I will look to God for the things I cannot do. Who is the God you serve? It is here in our text that we come to what I call the first lament. In the scriptures. Verse 1 through 3 says this. Hear me clearly. It says, I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Can you hear the despair in the writer? Let me go back to the text, because you got to see this. You have to see this. I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Brothers and sisters, something has befallen this man that is causing him to have a problem. But the problem in the text is the why and the who. It's the rod of the Lord's wrath. In other words, this single statement is telling us that the reason why he is afflicted is because of the Lord. Hmm. The reason why he's driven away is because of the Lord. The reason why he's walking in darkness is because of the Lord. Now, I struggle with that as a pastor. To make matters worse, the text tells us God has turned his hand against him again and again and again all day long. What do you do with hope when you feel like God has turned his hand and his back on you? What are we to make of our afflictions when it's because of God? The very God that the text tells us we would look to the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord. That's what the scripture tells us. So what we're saying now is the same God that we're looking to is the same God that is afflicting me. How can it be both? The worship team just sang, your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. Here's the dilemma. The dilemma is God's presence is a powerful, powerful and consuming fire of judgment. Yet at the same time, God's presence is the place of peace, hope, love and joy in the Holy Ghost. How can it be both? 
The text goes on further when you read through it to say, this God, our God, your God and my God, he, he causes our bodies to ail as we age. This God, our God, surrounds us with bitterness and hardships. This God, our God, builds a wall around us that isolates us. He weighs us down with chains and burdens. And, and, and watch this. This is the part that is so remarkable in the text. I, I want you to see this. Verse 8. Watch this. I'm talking about this God, our God. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. So, Pastor, why are we having people come to the altar to pray? To a God that the text is telling us shuts out our prayer. What on earth is going on? This God, our God, sets up roadblocks in front of us and makes our path more difficult than necessary. Lord God, what are you doing? So if this God, our God, can be so cruel to Jeremiah a faithful and diligent servant of the Most High God, and subject him to such hopelessness and despair, then what are we to make of ourselves? Because the truth of the matter is, God has caused affliction to come upon many of us, and if he's causing it on Jeremiah, and we know that we ain't even that good, most of the time, some of the time, all of the time. This is why I call this the first lament. This is why. Now... You've always been faithful. We've always tried to be faithful. But where is the hope here? I don't see it. The second lament picks up in verse 10. Here's what it says. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. Here we see that God had afflicted the, the, the prophet by the rod of his wrath. That's what the Bible says. But now, to make matters worse, on top of all of that, you are now being caused additional harm by something else. Now pay attention to the language here. It says, like a bear, like a lion, he drew his bow and made a target for me with his arrows. I bring your attention here because in this second lament, the cause of the affliction is no longer the Lord's rod. The cause of the affliction now has shifted to something else or someone else. Watch this. Remember in 1 Peter verse 5 and 8, we are told this. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a what? A roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. That's what it says in 1 Peter. But then if you go to Ephesians, the 6th chapter and the 16th verse, we find these words. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Do you see a pattern here yet? What I'm simply saying to you is that in this second lament, yes. it's no longer the rod of the Lord that is coming to cause you affliction. Now you're being afflicted by Satan. So it's like you feel like things are going bad in your life. Yes. Things, and every time you feel like you're starting to make a little bit of progress, all of a sudden, more stuff seems to keep piling on top of you. Or is, has, has anyone ever been there? You're, you're, you're trying to move. Things are happening in your life. But all of a sudden, things keep going from bad to worse. 
worse. What's going on here, God? What I'm telling you is that first it was the Lord's rod. But now it is Satan's arrows. Either way, you are being put in a place of hopelessness because you can't seem to get out of it. So what does all this mean, Pastor? What does all this mean? What I'm simply saying to you, that when you read the text, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, it is Satan who is now dragging you from the path and mangling you. I'm saying to you that it's now Satan who draws his bows and targets you with his arrows. It is Satan who is now piercing your heart with depression and making you a laughing stock to other people. It is Satan who has now broken your teeth with gravel and has trampled you in the dust. And it is Satan who has deprived you of your peace. To the point where you have forgotten what the text says. See it in verse 17? I have forgotten what prosperity is. I'm telling you sometimes if you don't know who you're fighting, you won't ever win. You need to know who you're fighting. So, so, so what does all this mean? Listen, let me explain this to you clearly and as quickly as I can. If you learn nothing else today, learn this truth. God is always merciful. God is always merciful. Loving. God is always forgiving. God is always graceful. God is always long suffering on our behalf. And God is always benevolent. But make no mistake about this church, in as much as God is all of those things, God is always holy and God is always just. The Bible tells us that as a man sows, that he shall also reap. The rod of the Lord's wrath needs to be understood in its proper context. The rod of God's wrath that is afflicting you is really the mercy of God. What do you mean? The rod corrects you. The rod is designed to make you wake up. The rod of affliction is designed to push you just far enough. That you turn around and change your wicked ways. God is always merciful. So, so some of us, we take far too long to learn what God is trying to teach us. Listen, listen. We live our unholy lives and we continue thinking that we can do anything that we want to do in the house of God the way we want to do it and still expect God to bless us. I am telling you, the day is coming where you need to be making a reckoning for what you have done in the house of the Lord. I don't preach idle words. I am telling you simply that most of what we are experiencing as a church body, and I'm in that boat too, is simply because we have forgotten God. We have turned our backs on God. And it's not until God continues to woo us and say, listen, stop what you're doing. Turn from your evil ways. Turn. Listen, I'm going to send a mosquito to wake you up. I know you don't like it, but it's a mosquito. And I'm sending that before the locust comes. The rod is there to help you. The psalmist tells us, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The wrath of God, 
His rod is designed. Yes, it afflicts you. Yes, it hurts you. But yes, it corrects you. Spare the rod and you spoil the child. But in our nearsightedness and our ingratitude of the manifold blessings that God has shown us, even in the midst of our trials and our tribulations, we have hardened our hearts and have strayed away from his love even further through our own disobedience. And in this state of not learning from God or learning his correction, we have opened up ourselves to something even worse, to something greater, greater afflictions by disobeying God's gentle nudges. Continuously, you have opened up yourself now to the targets and the arrows of Satan. And what Satan has for you is never anything good. I don't know what you're hearing this morning, church. And I don't know how this is impacting you at all. But what I'm telling you, learn and understand who it is that you are fighting Sometimes David, David says in his text, it was good for me to have been afflicted. It's good sometimes when the Lord corrects his children. It's good when you get a little spanking on your butt that makes you decide to do the right thing. But I am telling you, the day will come when you no longer got spanked from the Lord. The text tells us that God himself, when your disobedience has broken his heart so much that he no longer hears your prayers. I don't know about you, but I never, ever want to be in a place in my life where God stops listening to my prayers. So Reverend Minson stood here in the altar after you prayed, and he prayed corporately over the church. He stands in intercession because many of you, many of you have fallen short. That's why we come to church. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but it is God who delivers us through them all. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? You are accountable because what I'm telling you is that the spanking you're getting right now, you need it. You need it. But time is running out. So let me hurry on and close this up. So, so, so I've told you now, you've seen that the rod of the Lord's wrath is the first affliction. That's the first lament. That's the lament that makes you change your life. But if you don't obey God and you don't follow God with your ungrateful attitudes and all of the stuff that you complain about in your life, when God is showing you that I am blessing you even in the midst of your struggles and you still stink and you still dis... Let me not go too far. All of that. God then looks at you and says, oh really? Later for you. Time and time again, we read the text. Even when we do the blessing after service, where everybody starts to run out, not realizing that it's good to hear the music, it's good to hear the preaching, it's good to do the giving and all of that stuff, but you don't want to miss the blessing at the end of the service. The benediction is where you need to get something from the Holy Spirit imparted on you so that when you leave here, you, have, you are able to what? Withstand the flaming darts and the arrows of the devil. You cannot fight Satan on your own. 
Believe me, Eve, with all the godness she had, could not withstand the tricks of the devil. And he is crafty because he will use those who are closest to you to even pull you out of the umbrella of God's blessing. I say this before and I say it to you again, over and over again, whenever you feel like, I don't need to go to church. I don't need God. Let me just stay in bed. Listen, I'm not guilting you. I'm simply saying to you, be very careful when your flesh starts telling you what you don't need because you don't know what you need. Only God. So I'm not trying to tell you this to come to church every Sunday to make you feel guilty. I'm telling you, you need to come to church to save your life. Because the things happening in your life is not so much what you can see, it's what you don't see that God is blocking on your behalf. But we want to play God. So the first lament is the rod of the Lord's wrath. The second lament is the arrows of Satan. But now we come to the third lament, the last one. And this is the lament of hope. The word lament means to grieve. But the Bible tells us that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. But make no mistake about it, as Christians and believers in Jesus Christ, we do grieve. There are things that break our hearts. There are things that get under our skin, and we become very, very disturbed by them. But Jeremiah says this in what I call the third lament. After all that he has said, he says this, hold up. That's what he said. I heard him. He said, <laughs> he said hold up. I remember my affliction, and my wandering. Let me stay right there for a moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I remember my afflictions, but I also remember my wanderings. In other words, Jeremiah has taken now full responsibility for his own decision to turn away from God. You can look at your afflictions and say, this is painful. But don't stop there. Look at the role that you played in causing your own affliction. Because I guarantee you today, there's not a person in this church, myself included, that is not being afflicted and it could have been avoided, but it was my fault. Own it. I did it. Lord, I messed up. Confess your sins. Come real for what you have brought into the light. Satan can no longer use against you. He'll come at you and he'll tell you, you shouldn't be in church. Remember what you did last night. Confess it and then he can't use that no more. You see, we read these texts and we go over them so fast that we miss the blessing of God. Now you're starting to see, but I want you to see that the book of Lamentations is a good book to read. So, 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 so the prophet says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. And because I call this thing to mind, it says, I now have hope. Because, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are actually new every morning. Oh, great is thy 
faithfulness. I, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on him. Are you hearing this text? Are you, are, you, are, you, are you seeing the prophet? Are you there with him? It's like, yes, Satan, you, you beat me up. Some of the stuff was my own fault. I get it. But listen, I remember something about my God. I take responsibility for what I have done, but I know something about my God. He's always faithful. He's always gracious. He's always loving. He's always kind. I remember... Something about my God. This is the basis of hope. When we feel utter despair, it's reflecting on the goodness of God and all that he has done for us that our souls cry out, hallelujah. This is what hope is. It is reflecting on the fact that God is always faithful. And that he will do just what he said he will do. And, and, and when you are filled with the feeling of expectation and desire that that certain thing that you want to happen will happen, then you can have faith, you can have hope, and you can have love. Because if God said it, he's going to do it. It's just that simple. What are you believing God for? Because we come to God, Lord, I want a job. Lord, I want a house. Lord, I want a car. Lord, I want to get married. Lord, I want, Lord, 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 I want. We come to God with everything. And I'm saying, that's fine. But don't come to God wavering, wondering, well, maybe he'll do it, maybe he won't. Come to God believing that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The key word there is diligently. Many of us aren't getting finding God because as soon as we don't hear from God, we give up. But the last verse is where I'll end this message. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I presented the following challenges to you. I said, what are we to make of our affliction when we believe it comes because of God. What are we to make of the possibility that the very God that we are worshiping is the same God that is turning his backs on us? Remember? What do we make of his presence that is at the same time hurting us, but at the other time loving us? Well, there is no temptation or affliction known to man that Jesus Christ himself did not endure. You see... What people miss in this text in Jeremiah, I find, is that Jesus Christ is, right all, is all over it. I'll show you. When we talk about God turning his back on Jeremiah, Jesus understood what it felt like to have God turn his back on him. You see, when Jesus hung on that cross, this God, this same God, our God, caused Jesus' bones to be out of joint while he hung on the cross. This God, this same God, surrounded him with what we call the bulls of Bashan that encircled him. It said it. This God, our same God, enabled roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against him. This God, our same God, weighed him down with chains and burdens. This God, our same God, listen to this carefully, did not listen to Jesus even when he prayed. Pastor, can you prove that? Sure. My God, my God. 
Why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Listen, if you really want to do some homework tonight, when you leave here today, grab your Bible, go to the Old Testament, and read the 22nd Psalm. Psalms 22. Y'all know Psalms 23. Go one before it. And read Psalms 22. Make that your assignment today, sometime today. And when you read that, you hear the cry of Jesus from the cross in the 22nd Psalm. And, and on top of that, after you've read that, go back and read Jeremiah. This same text, and you'll see the parallel. So what I'm trying to tell you is that, what I'm trying to tell you is that when all hell breaks loose in your life, when you feel like you have no hope, look to Jesus. He is the hope of God. I am telling you right now that no matter what you're feeling, because guess what? In Jesus, in Jesus, you have hope. Because the same Christ, when he hung on that cross, when they pierced him, and they nailed him, and they crucified him, and they killed him, and they buried him, that same Jesus on the third day rose up again. So if Jesus is saying, come unto me, all you who are heavy burdened and all you who are heavy laden, look to me and I will give you rest. He's saying, rest in me for I am your hope. I'm telling you, Jesus is your hope. And I need the musicians. Jesus is your hope. Look to Jesus because what? He says, listen, you won't be able to move forward unless you realize that your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, your righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. And as the psalmist even goes further to say, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And the last verse, which really rings it, says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. In him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. My brothers and my sisters, I preach this the best way I know how. Because I want you to hear my heart. I am not entrusted in anything more than saving your souls. And the things that happen in life come at you with such ferocity that they will tear away any little hope that you may have. But I am telling you today, as God is my witness, that if you have just a little bit of hope, 
If you have just a little spark inside your heart, then I am telling you, if you give that little spark to Jesus, he then becomes your hope. And you will feel the strength not to take your life, but instead to give it freely to him. My hope is built on nothing less than on Jesus' blood and on his righteousness.